The rest of you can turn uh, in your Bibles or in your bulletin to Psalm 145. It'll be our passage for today. We're starting a new series this morning looking at the Psalms. We've done this uh, the past few summers and we're doing it again this summer. Uh, and we're doing it because the Psalms help us to connect with God. Um, doesn't all Scripture help us connect with God? Yes, all Scripture helps us connect with God. But the Psalms have a special way of helping us connect with God because they function like a prayer book for us. Um, and not just a generic prayer book, uh, but one that covers pretty much every human situation and emotion. Um, theologian John Calvin referred to the Psalms as an anatomy for all parts of the soul. He says, for there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. He says, or rather, the Holy Spirit has here drawn to the life all griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities. That's the reality that we find in the Psalms. That life is hard. And it stirs up all kinds of emotions in us. And the Psalms meet us in these real emotional experiences of life. And they help us to connect with God in the midst of them. And they do it in a really honest way. There are, there are lots of subcategories or different genres of types of Psalms. There are two main categories of Psalms. There are Psalms of lament. That's the majority of the Psalms. Lament is crying out. It's when things are not right and we want them to be different. There's tons of psalms of lament. Why, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? Why is this thing happening to me? Why is this thing happening to those people? Why is this thing happening to your people at large? Why, O oh Lord? Psalms of lament. That's one main category. The other main category will be psalms of praise. Where we think back and we celebrate what God has done in the past. And we, we praise him for what he will do in the future for his coming rescue. And so there's psalms of lament, psalms of praise, lots of subcategories. Those are the biggies, though. The psalm that we're looking at this morning is taken from near the end of the 150 psalm. That's Psalm 145, and it's a psalm of praise. With this in mind, let me read it for us, beginning in verse 1. I will extol you, my God and King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness." The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all His words and kind in all His works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. 
He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. And it's what we need most right now. We, we need to hear from you. And we ask you that, that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, open our minds, open our hearts to you. Show us the truth of your word. Uh, make us different than we were when we walked in. Would you transform us during this time? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, I want you to think about a time in your life when you really, really wanted something. When you really wanted something and you were really looking forward to it because this thing that you wanted was going to make you happy. Um, It was going to be the thing that once it happened, everything would be good. Uh, Kids, maybe it was something like finishing school just in the last few weeks where where in in the final months, maybe after spring break, and you're looking at the date on the calendar. We had a calendar in our house where we were Xing out the day after day after day. Maybe that was what it was for you, where you just could not wait for school to be over so you could sleep in and not go to school. Once that happened, everything would be good. Um, for others, maybe it was getting into a certain school. Once you got that acceptance letter or into a degree program, once you got into that particular degree program, then you knew you were on the right track and everything was going to be good. Maybe it's getting married. Having a child, uh, buying your first home, or getting into your dream home or dream neighborhood. Maybe it's hitting a certain financial milestone. Once we hit this benchmark, then things are going to be good. Then we can really relax. Uh, Maybe it's hitting a certain physical milestone. um, Participating in some event, achieving some personal fitness or weight loss goal. Um, What has been something for you that you thought, once I do this or achieve this, or experience this, then everything's going to be okay. And then when you think about that, I want you to think about the aftermath, if it's in the past. Uh, Did it deliver? I've shared this quote before, but Tom Brady, now retired NFL quarterback, um, this was years ago after he had won his first three Super Bowl rings. Um, In this interview, he was reflecting on uh, what it was like to have achieved so much. You know, at this point, he had already made lots of money. He had the Super Bowl rings, lots of endorsements. He was married to a supermodel. All these things, right, that the world would look at and say, he kind of made it. And he says in this interview, quote, Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, it's got to be more than this. The interviewer asks him, What do you think that something more might be? He says, I wish I knew. Uh, Tom Brady has achieved far more on an international level than most ever will. And he's still, it's still not enough. Uh, Podcaster and author Tim Ferriss made a comment in passing uh, during a recent interview. Uh, Tim Ferriss himself has been very successful. Um, He's an author. He's got a very popular podcast and uh, has made lots of money through investments and things like that. He's interviewing someone in this interview who is also very successful. So it's these two very successful people having a conversation. And they talk about their mutual friend. 
who was also very successful and had made lots and lots of money. And this mutual friend of Tim Ferriss and the person he was interviewing um, had retired, it's sort of the dream, retired young, made so much money he didn't know what to do with, and was traveling the world, just going wherever he wanted to go, doing whatever he wanted to do. And they were talking about their friend, and they, and they said that their friend had come to this conclusion that he had sort, their friend had hinted at the fact that it's actually not as great as I thought it'd be. And Tim and the guy he's interviewing are talking about this, is sort of with this fear and trepidation, thinking, is what we're living for going to ultimately disappoint us? Because that's the trajectory that they were on. Is it going to be enough? Here's a spoiler alert up front. There's nothing in this world that will give you ultimate satisfaction. There's no person. There's no experience. There's no achievement. Nothing is going to ultimately fulfill you. It's been put to the test over and over and over again and nothing does it. There's only one place that you can find satisfaction and fulfillment and it's in Jesus. And Psalm 145 helps us to see this. Here's how we'll look at this passage this morning. Two headings. We're going to look at the act of praise and the reasons for praise. So first, the act of praise. What does it mean to praise God? That's a very uh, sort of churchy term that would be easy to gloss over. What does it really mean? Um, Commentators, when they write about Psalm 145, they, they comment on the sheer amount of terminology and phrases that are used to describe the act of praising God. And just look at the passage there in your bulletin. You can skim it and see these lists of these words of praise. Extol, bless, praise, commend, declare, meditate, speak, sing, give thanks, tell, make known. It's this full range of going from uh, like silent meditation of internally thinking about focusing on, pondering, uh, to speaking and then telling and commending, all the way up to singing. It's this full range of expressing something. And this psalm invites us to do all of these things. Uh, Not just on on Sundays when we sing songs like we just did. Um, Not just when we pray occasionally when it kind of crosses our mind when something comes up. But to do everything from meditate silently to speak to commend it to others and to sing. It's the full range of expression that we're invited into. And um, these, these words of praise, there's a duration of how long we're invited into this. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says forever and ever. Verse 4 says from one generation to another that, that it's going to be such, so comprehensive, such a part of who we are, that it's going to be passed down to the next generation and the generation after that. And the very end of the psalm, verse 21, it ends with forever and ever. So the invitation is not only to use every form of expression to praise God, but also to do it continually and forever. Um, The praise that we're invited into in this psalm is comprehensive. And that's a really tall order. Uh, If you're here and you maybe wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, you're considering, you're exploring, you're curious about the faith... Um, or maybe you're here and you're a new believer where this is all fairly new to you and you're all in, but it just feels like you're drinking from a fire hose with, with the Bible and church and, and all these things that you're involved in now. Um, this can really dial up the pressure of the fire hose if you're thinking praise all the time comprehensively in all these different forms. It can sound like uh, something totally new. 
but it's something that we actually already do. Uh, maybe not with God, but we all praise something. We all worship something. Um, at the very beginning of the Bible, God created us to be together in relationship with Him. Um, we were made in such a way um, that God is supposed to be the main thing in our lives. That's how we were created, that God would be our main thing. And as long as we live according to that reality, with God as our main thing, life will go as it should. But then sin enters the picture. Adam and Eve disobey God. Sin enters our family lineage. Sin is now in our DNA. And one of the primary things that sin does is it redirects our worship elsewhere. It redirects our praise to something else. So it causes us to, to not have God as the main thing, but to get something else that he created and make that the main thing in our life. That's one of the main things that sin does. Um, something other than God becomes the main thing. And instead of living for the greatness of God, which is what is being celebrated in Psalm 145, what do we do? We live for the greatness of other things, of created things. And over time we give our lives to these things. And the Bible talks about that as idolatry, which we confess today in our confession of sin. Idolatry is when we make anything other than God into an ultimate thing. And it's often a good thing that we make into an ultimate thing. It doesn't necessarily have to be bad. Uh, here's how Tim Keller defines idolatry in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He says, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. If anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life, and identity, then it is an idol. What is more important to you than God? What are you tempted in life right now to love more than God? Go back to that original question. If I could just get blank then everything will be okay. Um, Keller in the book gives examples of things that we make into idols. Things like romantic love, uh, dating relationships, marriage, uh, family, money, power, achievement, uh, access to social circles, health, fitness, physical beauty, there, there are some on a more corporate kind of national scale like military power, technological progress, economic prosperity, hard work, individual freedom, self-discovery, affluence, fulfillment. What is it for you? Um, what good created thing are you tempted to make your main thing in life even above God himself? There's something for all of us. And then what do we do with these things? What do we do with these idols? We praise them. We do the thing that this psalm tells us to do with God. We do that with our idols. We praise them. We extol them. We meditate on them. We commend them to others. We speak about them. We pass them down to future generations. We sing about them. Um, take uh, earthly success and achievement as an example. If that's your idol, you will celebrate it when you see it. You'll praise it. Um, you'll talk about it with others. You'll encourage it in others. If you're a parent, you will model it for your children and you will end up passing it down to the next generation. You will show them a life of idolatry that they will soon embody as their own. And oftentimes we do this without even realizing. So we actually know how to praise something comprehensively. 
like Psalm 145 is talking about, we often just do it with idols, with things other than God rather than God himself. But that's where this psalm breaks in and it interrupts us from our idolatry and it lifts our eyes up to God and says, worship him. Uh, What are you doing praising these created things? They're good, but they're not great. The psalm answers the why. Why praise God? Why is he so great, as verse 3 says? Let's talk about the second heading, the reasons for praise. This psalm in the original Hebrew, it's, it's an acrostic poem. So basically the Hebrew alphabet is laid out and each letter of the Hebrew alphabet is used to give reason to praise God. There are a few psalms like that. Psalm 145 is one of them. And we can really kind of summarize these reasons under uh, four uh, sort of subheadings. Uh, God's character, his works, his kingdom, his care. So first, why praise God? Because of his character. Look at verse 7. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Okay, what is God like? As an aside, that may be a question that you really have. And also that's a great question to bring to a text when we're reading the Bible. What is God like? What does this text tell us that God is like? What does it say? That he's abundantly good. That he's righteous. Verse 8, King David quotes Exodus 34, verse 6, which is used all throughout the Old Testament to describe God. It says he's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love. In verse 9, he's good to all. His mercy is over all that he created. And he really is this good. He really is like this. Have you ever been disappointed with another person? Of course you have. Of course you have. But think about that though. Maybe maybe you're introduced to someone new and um, maybe this other person just has a reputation of being awesome. And you've just heard, maybe you have a mutual friend and you've got to meet so-and-so. They're great. They're the best. You would just love this person. You've got to meet him. And finally you meet him. And initially they're like, yeah, they're pretty great. Maybe it's true. Maybe I've met the one person who hasn't sinned. And, and, you, and you start to get to know them. And they really are. They're great. They're wonderful. But then it happens. Uh, you watch them lose it with their kids. Or they don't return your phone call. Or there's some character flaw that's exposed. You realize that uh, maybe you thought they were like just a super productive you know, like really successful achieving person, you realize they've got this like lazy streak in them. You're like, ah, ah, come on. What happens? You realize a person isn't perfect. And it's disappointing. And you can get a crash course in this when you have a roommate or you get married or you have children or you live with other people. Here's the thing about God. He will never disappoint you. He will never not live up to his character. He will always be perfectly good. He will always be perfectly righteous. He will always be perfectly merciful. He will always be perfectly loving. And he really is that good. And when we take time to let his perfect character uh, soak into our hearts, it's like a match gets lit with praise. Wow. He really is like this. He really is that good. That's the first reason to praise God, because of his character. 
Secondly, why praise God? His works. His works are just as good as His character. The two are connected. We always, what we do always flows out of who we are. Verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of your might and your awesome deeds. I will declare your greatness. Verse 10, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. This makes sense. How we live flows out of who we are. Our character shows itself in our actions. And God's character really is, if it is that great, then his works are really that great also. All right, how practically does that lead us to praise God? Here's what this could look like, practically speaking. You're sitting there reading your Bible. You're reading a psalm. Um, Your heart becomes so captivated with what you're reading that you stop mid-sentence and you say, wow, God really did this thing that I'm reading about in the Bible. He really did this. And you stop to praise him. Or you're thinking about your own life. And you just reflect and you say, I just can't believe how good God has been to me. Where would I be without God? Look at what he's done in my life. Look at what he's provided. Look at who he's brought into my life. Look at where he has me. His works lead us to praise him. That's the second thing. Third thing. Why praise God? Because of his kingdom. Look at verses 11 through 13. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. And then back at the very top, verse, King David starts verse 1 by saying, My God and my king. God is a king and he has a kingdom. Uh, and the king shapes what the kingdom is like. The king sets the tone. The king sets the rules. The king sets the feel, the culture of the kingdom. Um, Kids, think about a really great teacher that you've had. A great teacher sets the tone for a great class. Or think about a great coach you've had. A great coach sets the tone for a great team. A great king sets the tone for a great kingdom. And this psalm invites us to reflect on the way God does things. The culture that he creates. His kingdom. It's another reason for us to praise him. Fourth heading. Why praise God? God's care. God's care. God's care is all over this psalm. The late scholar Derek Kidner, in his commentary on the psalms, he talks about four ways that we see God's care in this passage. And the first is this, that we see that God helps the inadequate. God helps the inadequate. Look at verse 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling, and he raises up all who are bowed down. Um, It's not survival of the fittest with God. Instead, he goes after those who are falling. He raises those who are bowed down. And that is very upside down compared to the world that we live in. Um, it's, it's, it's not to prove your worth, to achieve, to make yourself worthy and notable. That's not how it works with God. It's the opposite. Humble yourself and God will lift you up. Are you hurting? Are you falling? Are you feeling downtrodden? God will come to you and lift you up. He cares. He helps the inadequate. The second thing that Kidder points out is that he gives food to all creatures. He provides for all his creation. Verses 15 and 16, the eyes of all look to you. You give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. He didn't just create everything. He cares for everything. And he never stops. Even the smallest insect, uh, the squirrel in your backyard that just won't go away. He cares for all of it. 
gives food for the creatures, cares for all of his creatures. Third thing that Kenner points out, he answers those who pray. Look at verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and he saves them. Um, Kidner says that the language used to describe God being near to all who call on him is friendship language. It's like when a friend is close to you when you're going through a hard time. That's how close God is to you when you call on him. Um, He cares for you so much that he answers when you cry out to him. He really hears you in your distress. Fourth thing that Kidner points out. He gives protection to those who are his. Verse 20. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Um, He cares for you so much that he will preserve you. He will help hold on to you until the end. Uh, My kids love to do staring contests. Staring contests, you know what a staring contest is. First person to blink loses. And they love to, to compete against me in staring contests because I blink a lot. And I'm sorry if you've never noticed it because now you're not going to be able to not notice how much I blink. Uh, but my kids know this about me and so they'll do staring contests. And, and, and it, you know, ready, set, go. And you just kind of hold your eyes open the best you can. And you just, you, know, you want to put your hands up there and hold them. And they start to itch and water and burn. And, you know, I can't make it. And they end up winning. But you just want it to end because it just hurts so bad to try to keep your eyes open like that. You weren't made to, to, to function like that. Life in this world can feel that way. It can be so, so hard. Uh, we never want to give the illusion as a church that, um, that we've figured out how to make life easy or that life is just a, a walk in the park for any one of us. We're all hurting deeply and struggling in real ways. That is what it's like to live in a broken and fallen world. Even as Christians, life is hard. If you're here this morning and life just feels really hard, it's okay. Welcome. Um, In moments of despair though, uh, maybe late at night it feels like things are just not working out. This is not the life you hoped for. Things are are not turning out the way you wanted them, them to. And you just want some relief. This is where God meets you. This is where God enters in and promises to walk with you, that He will preserve you. He will hold you to the end, that you are not alone in that moment. How do we know? The cross of Jesus Christ. It's proof that He cares for us. And even more than that, it's the ultimate reason as to why we praise God. Why? It's where God came and did the single most important thing for us that we could not do for ourselves. He lived the life that we were supposed to live, and then He died the death that we were supposed to die. Um, We tried it on our own, and we failed. We did not live the life we were supposed to do. We sinned. We did not meet the righteous requirement of God's law. But what happened? Jesus came and lived a perfect righteous life in our place. And instead of not sinning, instead of living perfectly, what do we do? We sin. What did Jesus do? He didn't sin. Fulfilled God's law perfectly. Then he went to the cross to pay for the ways in which we failed, in which we sinned. This is grace. God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. And it's the ultimate proof that God does care for you. If you're ever questioning that, look at the cross. 
And it's a promise that He's going to continue to care for you no matter how difficult life might be right now. Back to our original question. If I just have blank, then things will be okay. If I can just get this, then things will be good. If I can just achieve this, things will be all right. Our psalm tells us that the answer to this is if I can just have Jesus, then things will be okay. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? That you could lose all else and it would be and things would still be okay. Um, because if not, there is great warning in this passage. You see, see that in verse 20 that it says the wicked will be destroyed. Here's the hard truth behind that. If you give your life to something other than Jesus, if you really make something other than Jesus the main thing in your life, then what you're saying is, I'm not going to choose to hide under Jesus, that what we just talked about, his perfect righteousness, his forgiveness on the cross. I'm not going to choose to make that my main thing and live under that. Instead, I'm going to choose something else. I'm going to live under that instead. And what that means is I'm going to choose my own resume. I'm going to be judged by God based on what I have done. And the chances are not good of passing that test. What is the main thing for you? Where is your praise? Um, What has captured your heart? And can you see how lovely Jesus is? That there are good reasons to praise Him. And if the answer is yes, a good question is, how do I grow this instinct inside of me? How do I become someone who connects more deeply with God through praise? Uh, This is the gift of the Psalms. Uh, You simply take a Psalm like Psalm 145 and you turn it into a prayer. He's given you the script. And maybe it begins this week for you. Open up to Psalm 145. Pray it to God, make it your own, and ask Him to transform your heart. And He will. He will. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You've given us words to pray. You've given us a script. And and Father, we really do desire to be people that connect with You through praise. People who have um, been so captivated with who You are. With Your character and Your works and Your kingdom and Your care. The beauty of who You are. That we, that we think about it in our minds, that we talk about it, we encourage it, we commend it to others, we pass it down to the next generation, we sing about it, and we do this all the time and forever. We want to be that type of person. So Father, cast out the idols of our hearts and reign, reign in us. And we pray that as we come to this meal, that it would help us towards that end. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.